0: Welcome back to Held and Healed. This is a podcast where we share the stories of survivors and then also share resources that have helped survivors on their healing journey. Um, you can find us if you are a lady who is rebuilding your life after abuse. You can find us on Facebook at Held and Healed, Christian Amen, Rebuilding After Abuse, or you can uh, message me at info at Heather Elizabeth.org or find me on the website with the same heatherelizabeth.org address. So this morning we are welcoming an amazing lady that I actually got to meet face-to-face two weeks ago for the first time. Rebecca Davis is an author and she also co-authors books, I think a sum of 19 so far. She's an abuse advocate, an an avid student of the word. And um, I am just so excited to have her come today to talk about um, her Untwisting Scripture series. So welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much. It's so good to be here. It is like you're loud and clear and crystal like that is just amazing to me how we can do this with technology. (laughs) That is wonderful. (laughs) Yes. So um, I have in my hands right now the first Untwisting Scripture book as well as book two. And um, we're going to just begin with having you tell a little bit of an introduction of who you are, like a little bit of your story, your background, and what has led you to the ministry that you are a part of.
1: Thank you so much, Heather. You know, it's always amazing for me to talk about this because I would never have predicted I would be where I am now. So the Lord has a better plan. And (laughs) here we are. I loved writing books for children. I wrote the biography of Amy Carmichael uh, called With Daring Faith. That was almost 30 years ago now, and or maybe it was even over 30 years ago now.
0: But okay. I had not realized it was that long ago.
1: I wrote that when I was 30. Okay. And so it I loved writing books. I, I loved writing for children, and I wrote true stories for children. I wanted the work of God to be accessible for children. So you look at something like a biography like The Heavenly Man. He's It's the story of one of the church leaders of China in the early days, and there's so much persecution in it, so much suffering, and it's very graphic. So it's, it's not appropriate for children, in my opinion. And so I took that book and made it and took some of the stories from it, and made it appropriate for children, and made a biography of Brother Yun. So that's the kind of thing I loved doing. When I started getting into the work I'm doing now, people would ask me, "Are you going to write about abuse?" And I said, "No, you know." <laughs> other people, I don't have any qualifications. I don't have, you know, I was qualifications in those days. I was thinking of um, being licensed, having a licensed degree, and and understanding. Things that you have to go to school for. Right. And I hadn't done that. And I said, plus, I already have my niche. I write true stories for children, true missionary stories, true biographies for children. That's where I write. And over the course of time, as I was posting on social media about abuse and people were telling me, your voice is uh, something people can respect. You mm. do a good job of, of analyzing these statements. That was one of the big things that that turned yeah. me around. you Rebecca, I think your strength is analysis, a friend said to me. And I said, Oh, mm-hmm. wow. Mm-hmm. That's good to hear. And anyway, eventually I made a website about the abuses on with with a couple of friends about the abuses at Bob Jones University called BJUGrace.com. And then after 3 years of that i knew the lord wanted me to start writing about it on my own blog which is he, my own personal blog which is heres the joy.com and then as that went on and and a couple of people asked me to help them with their books i thought all right well it's very obvious this is where the lord is leading me so it wasn't a big thing it was just step by step at, in being faithful the two books that were instrumental in turning me around. Actually, actually, I did all started writing on my own blog. My own blog, I didn't start writing about abuse until 2017. So that's only four years. But okay. uh, the two books, one of them was Dale Ingram with his book Tear Down This Wall of Silence about sexual mm-hmm. abuse in the churches. He wanted some help with that book. And then Jeff Crippen with Unholy Charade, he wanted some help with that book. So I was helping with a book about sexual abuse and a book about domestic abuse and it became clear to me that this was the direction the lord wanted me to go there was some good overlap for a while between my abuse work and my missionary books for children work and then eventually i realized i just needed to go all in so that's yeah. how that
0: happened and I, I own those books as well they're on my to read list so i'm i'm excited to to dig into those so did you, if this is something you're comfortable sharing, did you personally experience spiritual abuse or were you just coming alongside people that had experienced that?
1: Well, you know, that's a good question. And people might argue one way or another. I I would say my mother was not abusive. She's gone on to heaven now. Um, I would say she was not abusive, but other people would say she was. Mm-hmm. I would say she was just manipulative and controlling. Okay. But... Uh, I grew up independent Baptist and I didn't ever experience the abuses that other people talk about. Maybe, and maybe I did, but I just didn't see it that way. Sure. I, I had pastors who were bossy pants and manipul- <laughs> manipulative and controlling, but they weren't, it didn't affect me personally. I mm. would roll my eyes, we would talk about it at home how he shouldn't have been that way. And so so it was a relatively healthy environment compared to so many of the things I've heard from other people. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, it's amazing to me that you would even just tackle this um, and how how much of a help it is to so many people and, and just the title alone. So it's untwisting scriptures that were used to tie you up, gag you and tangle your mind. Like that... That just explains so well (laughs) what so, so many people have been through in the church. So today we're going to kind of unpack book one and then I'll have you back later date to work through uh, book two. But I'm just going to kind of touch on the, um, the chapter titles. So people have just a general idea. And of course, we'll include in the show notes how you can find Rebecca, and how you can grab these books. So chapter one is titled, I should quote unquote, yield my rights, or maybe I never had any rights. Hmm. <laughs> chapter two, so I'm not supposed to quote unquote, yield my rights. Chapter three, I still feel the effects of the pain. So I quote unquote, I must be bitter. Mm, I've heard that one. (laughs) Chapter four, I'm told that I have a quote unquote root of bitterness and that I am in the quote unquote gall of bitterness. And then chapter five, I'm afraid I'll be guilty of quote unquote destructive bitterness. And then the one that is my personal favorite, chapter six, I shouldn't. Quote unquote, take up offenses for others. So let's just unpack just the general, because several of these are about yielding rights and bitterness. Let's just talk about a little bit about yielding rights and bitterness. And then I really want to unpack the taking up offenses one, because that one was used against me most of my life in church. And so I was so excited to see you tackling that. So let's start with the yielding of rights and just take a little, just a little bit of time to unpack the gist of that concept.
1: Sure. Well, I'll give you a little bit of history about that one too. That was, so so the Lord brought me into this world in two stages. 2006, I met the domestic abuse survivor who taught me, taught me so much for several years. And in 2012, I met the um, sexual and spiritual abuse survivor who taught me so much. Mm. And what she said was, we were told we didn't have any rights. And she was talking about children. Mm. And I was so horrified. I was so horrified. And she she cited... Um, Romans 12 two, supposed to be living sacrifices. And I said, Oh, my goodness, that's so that's such a horrible perversion of that Bible verse. So right away, I went to look up to see, well, who's already taking care of this, who has already addressed this topic, mm-hmm. so I can send her something to read, or I can go through it with her and talk about it a video to watch or something. And I hunted and hunted and no one anywhere that I could find anywhere had debunked Scripturally debunked this yield your rights teaching now the teaching was out there all over the place Yes, and I saw some people complaining about the teaching like this teaching harmed me, but I didn't see anywhere where somebody was biblically scripturally Unpacking that teaching to showing to show from the Bible why it was wrong Mm -hmm. so that's when I said I get I'm gonna have to do this myself and I started working on it and it ended up going on that BJU Grace website and recoveringgrace.org, which was for people recovering from Bill Gothardism, reposted it and a couple Mm -hmm. of other people reposted it. So that was like the beginning. And the, the rights teaching, I knew that we had rights. I knew we had human rights spiritual rights before the lord because for example he says in hebrews you can come boldly to the throne of grace through Mm -hmm. jesus christ Um. and that means it's a right of ours Mm -hmm. and we're not supposed to give it up it is our right to keep and then the third one is civil rights which are rights uh, designated by the governments which aren't to be ignored even if sometimes governments might designate civil rights uh unbiblically still there to be considered when we talk about rights you you can't simply ignore them so that's what i focused on those three types of rights and then i went through all the scriptures that i was aware of that people used to say we don't have any rights Hmm. or we should give up our rights or jesus gave up his rights and we're supposed to be like jesus so um I, I made the claim Jesus did not give up his rights. Jesus still had his rights up to the very end. Not making use of your rights and giving up your rights are two very different things. That is a good distinction. Absolutely. Yeah. To say till the end, like till the end, I still have the right to um, to vote. That was mm-hmm. one of the examples I used. I might decide not to vote, but right. up, until, up until the polls close, I still have the right to go vote if I want to. Mm. That's good. So those are, that's a very super brief overview of the rights section.
0: All right. We're just going to whet their appetite so they go get your book. Yes. Yes. (laughs) All right. Now the bitterness element. So I do want to add in here, I have gone to YouTube and I have searched Rebecca Davis and bitterness and an incredible teaching will pop up. And that was so eye-opening for me. Wow. That video
1: is like a a short, um, compressed teaching of what I have in these chapters. Mm. The chapters expand on it. And one thing this book does, the first Untwisting Scriptures book, I have a lot of teachings from, a lot of the wrong teachings in the book quoted from the teachers themselves. And one of the main reasons I did that is so people could see in black and white, yes, that really was what I was taught. Yes. And they can take this book to their counselor who doesn't understand what they went through. And they can say, look it, here is what I've been trying to explain to you. Mm. This is what I was taught. <clears throat> Excuse me. But in that uh, YouTube lecture, I didn't quote the false teaching because I just didn't have time. But on the screen, you can see where I'm comparing scripture with scripture. And I do that in the book, too. I have both of the scriptures that I'm comparing side by side, like a New Testament scripture that, that refers to an Old Testament scripture where you put them out side by side and compare them and see what is this really talking about? Mm. That is so important to do. And it, and it was eye-opening to me because I didn't know where I was going when I started studying this. I just said, I know that the way bitterness is taught to shut people's mouths, people who've been through abuse, I know that's not the heart of God but i'm not really sure exactly what is the true exact teaching and again i want to tell you heather and everyone who's listening mm-hmm. i again went online and searched to find somebody who was addressing this from a biblical perspective mm. <clears throat> and i did not find it
0: mm-hmm. i found
1: <clears throat> i found many teachers teaching the typical don't be bitter teaching right and i found other people saying talking about how that teaching was used to shut them up when they were <clears throat> trying, to, trying to either get help from their abuse or warn people about abusers or uh, trying to process their abuse, those three things that that was used to shut them down. But I didn't yes. find anything going back to the scriptures and, and opening it up and explaining it. So that was what I undertook.
0: It's such a victim-shaming, victim-blaming Oh, yes. Yes. I mean, the reason this this triggers me is because in 2001, in the throes of some of the most traumatic disclosures I have ever received in my life, I was at a small group, and someone who knew nothing about me, did not know my story, did not know the hell that I was facing— she decided to, she was not in any type of authority over me whatsoever. She decided to take me aside and chastise me for being bitter. Oh, yeah. And Terrible. it devastated me. It devastated me because I was not sure if I was even going to live or die. This situation was so huge. Hmm. I was just trying to keep myself and my three little ones, you know, going day by day and having their basic needs met. And, I wasn't at liberty to even share in this setting about what was going on because that was another thing that was done is you were, you were told to present as one thing and you could process things up Ugh, this makes me so sick. You could process things up with your leaders, but you could not talk down to people who are under you about what was really going on in your life. Well, there should not be a hierarchy to begin yes, with. Yes, that's right. There <laughs> should not be a chain of command, a hierarchy, a who's who, an in crowd, a click in the church. But there is in many churches. And so this person took me aside and then I'm reading your book or I'm listening to your video. And The way you describe like biblical bitterness, like just tell us a little bit about what that is the grieving, the way you define that. That was so beautiful.
1: Well, it was super exciting to me when I was doing this Bible study because I didn't, I I was coming to it with feeling like I didn't have quite a grasp on what biblical bitterness was and eager to find out how the Lord described it. So I took, I went to every single verse in the Old Testament, every single verse in the New Testament that addressed bitterness in the Hebrew or the Greek. And I had a Hebrew and Greek scholar as a friend, that was Sam Powell, that I could go to if I needed help understanding some of it. And as it began to take shape before my eyes, as I began to understand, it was so exciting to me Mm, because I had been studying grief. Before I I listened to a lecture about grief uh, from Judith McNutt, and I listened to it and I thought, this was years back, and I said, Wow, I don't, I really, I really don't understand grief. And I listened (laughs) to it again and again to get a grasp on what grief was because I knew, I knew already that I had never experienced grief to the level of many of the people I knew. I knew I was hampered that way. But I really wanted to understand it the best I could. So I studied it and listened to her talk about it several times and felt like I had a better understanding that grief is so complicated and grief Mm -hmm. is not linear. Grief doesn't go through neat stages. And there's so many different expressions that can feel like anger or uh, extreme confusion or just walking in a fog depression, all of these things are part of grief.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And, and I found in the research for this book, I found a quotation from C.S. Lewis about his grief that expressed it so well. And someone even wrote to me after their daughter died and said, your uh, quote from C.S. Lewis helped me because he said, grief was felt often like fear. Mm. Which those who haven't experienced it wouldn't connect with each other. We wouldn't think, oh, grief and fear. Yeah, they go together. Mm. But he said, I felt that when, when my daughter died. I kept on feeling this feeling like fear that I couldn't explain or understand. And I see that that was part of my grief. Yeah. So biblical bitterness is almost always grief. There are a few exceptions that I call destructive bitterness. But the reason they both have the same name, bitterness, is because of the word poison. Mm. When a person feels like something has happened to them to, to poison their, them internally, they express it as, it comes out as grief. These are like mm. the symptoms of the poison is mm. the expressions of grief. And then on the other hand, someone can shoot i call it shooting the poisoned arrow because in psalm 64 5 it uses that expression they shoot poisoned arrows. their words are like poisoned arrows that go into me and how many abuse victims and abuse survivors have experienced that their mm-hmm. abusers words yes. go into them like poisoned arrows yes. so he is the destruct he or she is the destructively bitter one and the person who receives it is the grievingly bitter one And in that talk on YouTube, at the end, I say, so here we have two people. One is the one who shoots the poisoned arrow, the destructively bitter person. The other one is the one who receives the poisoned arrow, the grievingly Mm -hmm. bitter person. Which of these two people should be put out of the church?
0: Wow. And
1: it's obvious, it's (laughs) obvious, and my red X goes over the destructively bitter person, so Mm. it's obvious that that's the person. And then I said to my audience, but which mm. of these people is the one who is usually yes. put out of the church? Absolutely. It is Nine the,
0: times out of ten. <laughs> the
1: grievingly bitter yes. person because they are told they're yeah. unforgiving. They're bitter, of course. <clears throat> they're slandering. They're gossiping. Mm. All these accusations to get them to shut
0: up. Yes. To tie them up. Gag them entangle their minds right oh my goodness that is just so the destructively bitter and then the grieving bitter that is so profound and people that take the time to go to the hebrew the greek the the original context and the the culture of the time and then also balancing it with the heart of god Like God, God is not there hammering the, the victims. He's just not right. (laughs) That is not the God that I serve. And yet that is what churches portray him as over and over again, that the victim is always the one that's called to, you know, take the higher, the higher ground. And the victim's always called to be the one to go first. And the victim's always called to, like you said, be silenced and be quiet. I have this um, podcast in mind, I'm going to talk about going from the scapegoat to the roaring lioness (laughs) Mm. (laughs) and I just I love the transformation that I see happening when women realize for so long they've been the scapegoat of either their family of origin or their marriage or their church and then suddenly truth is imparted because of people like you (laughs) who go and do the heavy lifting and the hard work and deep dive into the true purposes and meaning behind scripture. And then they can come out as roaring lionesses instead of little timid scapegoats. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Ah, I just love that visual of the contract. And I am super grateful that all these years later, I now have a biblical perspective on what bitterness actually is, and it's not in and of itself a sin. It's just right. not, that's <clears throat> so that's important powerful. to know that. Yes, that is so so powerful. So, so now, we can act. Someone can actually
1: say, "I'm feeling a deep bitterness." Yes, and someone else can say, "I want to walk alongside with you, yes. alongside you in that," because. When you interpret it correctly as grief, grief, as I said in my talk and in the book, grief is not something to repent of. That's, it is yes. something to walk through yes.
0: and get to the other side of. That's so incredible. That is so powerful. And <clears throat> now for my personal favorite, Chapter Six: I shouldn't take up offenses for others. So the oh, reason yes. this one, the reason <clears throat> this is so. Um, personal for me is that one was definitely used, um, in a church that I attended for decades and Hmm. it sounds so spiritual. Yes. (laughs) And, and then I was like, as I'm reading your book, I'm like, that's what Jesus came to do. Yeah, absolutely. Jesus came to this earth to take up the offenses. He went to the cross because he was so passionate about taking a stand against injustice and standing for truth and standing for righteousness. And when we are told that we are taking up offenses, it is again, once more, a tactic to. Suck. Most of the time, it's because we're questioning something that someone in <laughs> authority has done or said. Hello, red flag. <laughs> So, yeah, talk to us about what the word of God actually says about taking up offenses. Well, of
1: course, this is very personal because this is what I've been doing.
0: (laughs) This is your life's work. Apparently so. Thank you for researching the
1: call. The funny thing is, um, I used to love Bill Gothard. Bill Cothard was a teacher back in the day, and it delights my soul to think that many of your listeners might not know who he is.
0: I actually do, so
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, he he taught what was called in my day, the Institute in Basic Youth Conflicts. It became later the Institute in Basic Life Principles. And so I found my red notebook in the attic huh. because I had never thrown it out. For some reason, when we moved various times, people would say, should we get rid of this? And I said, uh, I might need it someday. And this was it. I needed it. I needed to get it down so I could look up some false teachings. And I found my own personal notes in my own handwriting where mm-hmm. I wrote, taking up offenses, Psalm 15, three, the major reason for bitterness. We should never do this.
0: Yes. <laughs> and
1: I was 19 when I wrote those notes and just Bill Gothard was like a prophet from God. How dare we question mm-hmm. him? So anyway, uh, it, it just made me shake my head when i when i read that when i was working on this chapter and Psalm 153 as i go on to show in that chapter has nothing to do nothing to do with taking up offenses it's just a bible verse reference that he sticks in there to make it sound like he's teaching from the bible and he's not he made this up wow. so so i went on to talk about taking up offenses well, first of all, I talked about it in modern day teaching because that was important to me to express in this book how these teachings are presented today, and that's very easy to find. Type it in, you can find oh a hundred teachings on it. Because my own personal reason, uh, my own personal theory about this, I mean, is that leaders are very intent on teaching people not to take up offenses because often. They have done things wrong, and they don't want people coming against them. Mm. So direct admonitions in Scripture and examples in Scripture of people taking up causes for others. Then I went on to taking up causes in history. Now, this is a passion for me because, as I said earlier, I have written a lot of missionary biographies for children and missionary stories, compilations of true missionary stories for children. Well, missionaries are some of the biggest examples of taking up causes for people yes they go right. yes. to the mission field and they see that for example that children are being sold mm-hmm. into sex trafficking <clears throat> on the mission field are they not supposed to take up that cause yes they're yes. seeing that colonial overlords are uh, putting the, the, uh, the nationals, the natives, into illegal slavery. Are they not supposed to be mm. taking up that cause? And, I mean, I can go on and on. Wilbur Wilberforce, William Wilberforce, is one of my heroes because he took up the cause of, took up the offense, if you will, of the cause of slavery yes. for black people in England. And he did not give that thing up every single year, year after year for over 20 years until Parliament decreed that slavery was no longer legal in England or any of its colonies. And that was an incredible example, or or an amazing, inspiring example of a man who took up offenses or took up a cause, I guess it's better to say, that for for people in the name of our Lord. Now, the new name is not taking up offenses. The new name is you're just a social justice warrior. And that's (laughs) what I've been working on with someone just within the past few days. He was accused of being a social justice warrior because he was trying to help the people he was working with on the mission field uh, uh, get Justice, because illegal gold mining was going on, and their water was being poisoned, and because of something else that I oh, because of uh, little children being sold into being sold into marriages, eight, mm-hmm. nine, ten years old being oh sold into marriages, mm. and so he's being accused of forsaking the gospel and becoming a social justice warrior. But it's the very same thing as this taking mm-hmm. up offenses argument, and so I was helping him with his newsletter and I went straight to this book, the first Untwisting Scriptures book to pull out examples from missionaries and others who took up offenses or took up causes or became social justice warriors mm. on the mission field to help the people that they loved because, because it is not about, oh, I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna go do my own thing instead of furthering the cause of Jesus Christ. This is furthering the cause of Jesus Christ. Yes. This is showing the people that we preach to. This is boots on the ground. Love for them.
0: Yes. Hands, feet, and heart of Jesus. I don't, we haven't really talked uh, enough. Do you have experience on the foreign mission field?
1: No. You just really
0: love the stories. Okay. So I, I, yes, I'm a researcher and a writer. From about age 14 to 24, I took, Multiple trips to developing nations. And in 93, right out of high school, I actually lived in Haiti for a whole year. Oh, wow. And then I kind of gave up the whole parasites and malaria thing. Well, and I became a mother Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I was very unwell um, because of my adventures and the things that I exposed my body to. So I took probably a 17 year break from that. And then in 2014, I started traveling to Guatemala and working with families there who um, were providing care. It's like foster care in another country. Can you even imagine the amount of challenges, sacrifices, and needing to lean into God? Those Mm. people are heroes and heroes of the faith of the greatest kind because They're living in another country. They don't have a lot of the comforts of home. And then they're taking in children that have every need you can possibly imagine, the spiritual warfare, the physical needs, uh, yes. uh, the mental and emotional. So I traveled back and forth about nine times between 2014. And I think I stopped going in 2018 because, again, health. But yes, I'm very, very passionate about um. Just seeing the needs, the physical, tangible needs of people met. And it's not enough just to tell them, God bless you. Go in peace.
1: Or just to say, I'm just going to preach the gospel and I'm going to ignore the physical needs. Like I'll build a little church building where they can come mm-hmm. and hear the gospel, but I won't. I'll right. Shut my eyes.
0: Right. To, to the all, hunger and the yeah, the disease. and the way so, and the ways they're being exploited. Yes, yes. So we have to, we have to have balance in yes. both. We can't just do the humanitarian things and forget about their eternal souls, but we can't just build the church and ignore their physical needs. So yes, I'm 100 percent Amy Carmichael said
1: Amy Carmichael said something like this if I remember correctly you can't just take souls and pitchfork them into heaven that's right you have to have buildings because she got the same the same argument from back home we don't want to pay for you to build buildings we're paying for you to um, they wouldn't have said preach the gospel but for you to lead souls to Christ and and she She said, well, we have to have a building to put them in because we can't just
0: pitchfork them into heaven. Well, I love what you write in your book, several scriptures, but especially Proverbs 31, 9. It says, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy.
1: That is such an important scripture. That's that became the theme verse for the BJU Grace
0: website. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, the Micah, the Micah verse, you know, that one off the top of your head. What does the Lord require of you? Yes, to do do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So, so powerful. And I love how God, you know, different times throughout scripture says, you know what? Take your fast, take your religion, take all of your, you know, your services and your programs and all that and basically shove it because you're not taking care of my children. And what I desire is that you defend the orphan and you protect the widow and you see the prisoner and you take care of the hungry and you feed them and you give water to the thirsty like that is gospel. And if we would just do that (laughs) one day out of the week, (laughs) if every person who claims Christ would do something tangible one day a week, this world would change. And I saw that one of the comments on
1: one of my blog posts indicated that the woman or the commenter was saying, it's right to have, all right, I'm boiling it down. So maybe she wouldn't quite agree with my wording, but this is how I received it, that that it's right to take up offenses or take up causes in a theoretical sense, <laughs> or when you're thinking about people far away, you're just not supposed to do it with your friend. Mm. And I said, what mm-hmm. in the world? <laughs> you know, doing it for your friend is very important. Yeah. yeah. And, and some of my most important education, because the Lord took me through alternative education for this work was through two of my friends the mm-hmm. one who coming out of domestic abuse and and the first one to teach me about sexual abuse. And then there have been others, certainly who have taught me as well, many others. But when I speak, when I write on my blog or in my books, or when I speak on um, in conferences and such, I am speaking for these people. Some of some of them are perfectly already speaking for themselves and others of them are not speaking mm-hmm. yet. They're still remaining silent and they're grateful that pe- people are out there speaking for them.
0: Well, I will, you know, definitely say for myself, it is um, just, there's gratitude to someone who would take the time and do the digging and even put yourself out there for the opposition because I'm sure there are people that come at you that don't like what you're doing and I am grateful as a survivor of spiritual, domestic childhood, you know, all the types of abuse. I'm grateful for someone who is willing to just come and hold up the arms of the weary. And there have been seasons where people have walked up to me and been like, oh, Heather, just wanted to let you know, just random people that I haven't seen in years. Heather, I just wanted to let you know that I've been praying for you or I've been praying for you and your boys. And I will look at them at at times and say, thank you so much because I'm not doing that right now. Mm. Because sometimes we are so battle weary and battle worn that we can't even pray. And of course, just speaking the name of Jesus, there's power. We know that there have been many seasons in my life where that's all I could pray. And someone else said to me one time, and this would go back to your bitterness and your grieving A section is that our tears can be prayers, you know, because God knows, He knows what's deep inside of us, even when we can't put the words out there. And I love that. It's our tears are prayers. And I am grateful for every person who has prayed for me at some random moment. They didn't know my kid was about to get in a car accident, they didn't know that I was going Mm -hmm. through this, that, or the other. And Yeah, so you are a warrior of the greatest kind. (laughs) And I am, for one, just super grateful. So we are going to wrap things up, but I would love to have you on in a couple of months to discuss book two. Um, But for right now, go ahead and tell everybody where we can find you. You've already mentioned your website, but mention that again and tell us um, the ways that we can find you. And also go ahead and speak about um, your helping people to um, edit and publish books as well. Sure. Thank you so much, Heather. It's been a privilege and I would love to talk to you again in
1: a couple of months about book two. My blog is heresthejoy.com. That's where I do my untwisting scriptures one step at a time. And Mm -hmm. then the blog posts will, I'll collect blog posts and edit them and put them in book form. Book two was primarily blog posts. There were about three or four chapters that were brand new in the book that hadn't ever been blogged before, but but it was mostly blog posts. and that's here's the joy dot com. I don't have a Facebook page yet. I'm really kind of I, I don't I don't do super well with social media. I just have my own personal page. Yeah. but I think I'm threatening to get a Facebook um, business page. <laughs> I do have, I do have a business page for my editing work. I am a trauma-informed editor. Thank mm-hmm. you for asking me to mention that because I yes. probably would have forgotten about it. Yes, uh, I'm a trauma-informed editor. I my two main areas of focus are the Christian scriptures and trauma because I consider myself um, well versed in the Christian mm-hmm. scriptures
0: mm-hmm. and.
1: I have worked very hard, even though I don't have a degree in it, I've worked very hard to become trauma informed, Um, hundreds and thousands of hours listening to abuse survivors, mm -hmm. and also reading scholarly works. And I'm continuing to learn. So both of those things are my specialties. And that is called Rebecca Davis Word Working, not woodworking, but word <laughs> <working>. <laughs> wordworking. Rebecca Davis dot is where you can go if you're interested in finding a trauma informed uh, book editor or someone to or to help you get your book published, or if, if not necessarily trauma, but if it's about Bible study, Christian scriptures. I'm um, actually. I'm actually work right now. I'm working with a missionary on writing his memoirs, which is just Mm -hmm. right up my alley. The stuff I Mm -hmm. love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that is exciting to me.
0: That's powerful. Also working with a, a woman who has DID telling her story. Wow. Wow. God is using you. Amazing. Just to help people tell their stories. Your book, too, I wanted to mention is focused on patriarchy and authority, so I'm yes. sure that's going to pique someone's interest. So, well, thank you again, Rebecca. You, thank are, you are just a gift to this world. I am so grateful that you're in my life. I think I found you through the Give Her Wings Academy. Did you do a lesson for that? I did. Okay. I okay. spoke okay. about
1: yielding rights. Yeah, And, and that, that's how I
0: found you. By the I way, just...
1: that's also on YouTube. I put that up on YouTube. I just okay. made a little station just for that. So that's that's like the only thing up on my
0: station. Yeah. Give her wings was just such a, that's actually where my, my Facebook group held and healed. That's kind of where that was birthed because I was sitting through these amazing lessons week after week. And I was like, this isn't just for me. This is for this friend, that friend, this friend. And so I basically created held and healed as a place to like organize all the resources and all of the amazing stuff that was healing and and just ministering to my heart. So, um, Fantastic. yeah, That's yeah. Great. So thanks again. And to the rest of you, thank you for listening. Thank you for being here and taking the time to dig deeper into what God really meant when he wrote it and, yes. um, just being willing to, um, just untwist and decompress the, the toxic teachings that we've been fed. And as always, you can find us at held and healed, Christian Women Rebuilding After Abuse, or you can find me at heatherelisabeth.org. So blessings on your day.